Sometimes, sometimes you, you say things before you think through exactly the ramifications. And one of those was, I'll wear a tie if you just give me one, whatever it is. And so this is an LSU tie, thanks to Ben and Lydia back here. Yeah, that hyperactive girl back there. But I, I, here I am wearing, I've still got the Cubs one, and I'm trying my best to come up with muster whatever it takes to do that. But anyway, see, I do pay up, so I just want you to know. I, but I'm also saying this, I changed my mind and repent, and I'm not going to honor that anymore after that. Okay, so just, just keep that in mind. I think with, with the advancement of, of having microphones, I, I want to I challenge us as a church. I, I, I hear the story of Jim Craft. I, of course, I wasn't here when he did this, but he got up in the, in the pulpit and said, this will be my last time to lead public prayer. He just couldn't navigate the stairs. And, and I want to say, uh, after, a, after years of watching that, uh, we solved this at Slasher Street by saying, guys, we have a microphone. Take it to them in their pew and let them lead prayer. We do not need to silence the prayers of these godly men because they can't physically get up on the stage. That's crazy. We've got the technology to do that. And so I think I'd like to see this to where sometimes our prayers are led. You don't see anybody up here. It's a person, I promise you, but it can be a microphone taken to them or a scripture reading. And I think that's a beautiful testament to what the church does to its, its um, forefathers of faith and our fathers of faith who are physically unable to get up here anymore, perhaps, at least easily, and it would be a good thing. Don't forget the father-daughter banquet on Saturday. I love seeing the pictures and the days after that of all those dads dressing up with moms and uh, with daughters, and moms are helping, but they're not there. Um, but it's a beautiful thing, and it's an exciting thing, and Charlotte does a tremendous job, and all the people that she gets to help are just a, it's a great thing. Now, we're going to play Little Jeopardy here, okay? I say the answer, and you say what is, and the question February 16th. Well, how did you know that? We are communicating so well. Oh, yeah. Okay. So don't forget, in a couple of weeks, it is Mission Sunday, and we're, and we're grateful uh, for, for that stress every year. Chad Wagner will be with us. He's in Nigeria at this moment. Saw pictures of him last night. But he'll be flying back into the country just shortly before he comes here. And so uh, we're going to get a fresh report from him, but also some, some good preaching. The man can preach, and I love him dearly, and you'll enjoy what, uh, what he has to say to us. We are, uh, I have all scripture on slides today, so there's no passage, passage to turn to, but be ready uh, to read some scripture with me here in just a few moments. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. By the way, one more picture. One more picture. Um, a family here at Valley View has new kids. Three new kids for the Nix family. They buy this house. It has goats with it, but they don't, they don't tell them these goats are pregnant. And so now they have three new goats in the Nix family, right? Isn't that great? I think he just, I think he's a natural at that. But anyway, 
Okay, so we've been talking about this for a few weeks, and I've been having two major prayers about this. I've read tons and tons of stuff. I'm continuing to do that because this issue is so volatile, and there's so many sides to it. I was overwhelmed. Uh, my, my eyes will just swim with all this information. I don't know how to process it all to even understand it, much less address it. And so I asked God for wisdom and clarity and understanding the issues involved. My second prayer was that the Lord would come. But so far, so far that prayer hasn't been answered the way I want it to. Um, so, so we're going to take on this gender thing. By the way, I appreciate Gary, uh, the thank you note for meals taken to Shirley as she recovers from her uh, breaking her neck. Because uh, as Terry said this morning, can you imagine you have that pain and that discomfort, and all the food you eat is Gary's food. Can you imagine what that would be like? It'd be awful. So uh, just keep sending those meals to him. Yeah, he'd appreciate it. He's nodding. Um, and the tendency is to want to stay silent about this, but you know what? The church cannot stay silent about this. I hear people, and I will hear people, who will say, we should do this in classes, you should do it in private, this shouldn't be in the pulpit. I have to respectfully disagree it is every day coming down from media and in our world to our college students, to our high school students, to all of us. They hear about it everywhere, and for us to come in the church and never address it would be totally irresponsible, totally irrelevant. And it would cause people to go, I don't even know what we believe about this because I haven't processed all this stuff and so we have an obligation as a church I believe to even from the pulpit help people process this and understand what am I supposed to do about it this issue is so is so contentious in our culture first it's in our culture you can't you can't live in the United States and not have this around all the time and and you're having to to navigate through it all the time whether it be the bathroom battle that was waged whether it be the North Carolina bill battle that you saw raged on the news every night. I guess it's still going. You just don't see it updated very much. These celebrity sex changes as they celebrate the altering of their gender and, and, and deciding to go to a, you know, to a different gender that's more like what they feel. Or whether it be these parents that announce to the world, we're going to let our child decide what gender he or she is. What I'm going to say to you what they are. Constant confusion about what pronoun can I use in describing people. And this long list of letters that we're supposed to say and know what they are. Everybody with a neat, unique thought or a pressing feeling about themselves, they, they put that letter in and it's LBGQQXC. All those and it keeps growing all the time. What do we do about that? It's confusing. Anybody with any particular desire needs to be treated as if they are the center of the world and were fully respected. Article after article and book after book about this, and it's confusing even for those who really want to know what to do about it. But, but we don't, you know, other people who, who find that, <coughs> excuse me, uh, offensive and ridiculous get <coughs> out of hand. They go on Facebook and they say things hateful to people who are really struggling with those issues as, as if as if they're, they're uh, foolish to even struggle with it. <coughs> Excuse me. I know people, I know people who, who love the political uh, excitement of it and the battle, and they just love the idea that everybody has to be sensitive to it, and there are people like that. 
But as I read stories this week and I even listened to certain testimonies of people, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> there are people who really do struggle with them and struggle with their identity like this to a deep, deep way. The angst and the anxiety and the stress and the pressure, and it meets them every day, and they don't know what to do about it. And they know what they are biologically, but they know what they feel themselves to be and what they experience life to be. And then they experience the pressure of their culture, of people who, who believe different things, and they start saying different things and treating them certain ways because of this confusion. And I can't imagine. I never struggled with this. I can't remember, at least, ever struggling with this. But as I listened to these stories, my heart broke for them because I'm thinking these people really do struggle. And this is not a political thing. And this is not a cause. This is our life. This is what they feel about everyday reality. And they carry around this with them all the time. I can't imagine what that must be like, that incongruity between what I am supposedly am and what I feel. And so it drives them to do radical things sometimes whether dressing as the opposite gender or, or go so far as to have surgery and, and do hormonal treatments or, or even to take their own lives. Does God have anything to say about that? Does God care about that? Is it so settled in God that he can't understand why his creation struggles? But it isn't just the culture, it's the church too. Every bit of what I just said about culture afflicts certain people within the church and that's an even smaller group water culture but then you narrow it down to the church and even the church sometimes is its own worst enemy as we turn on each other and start bashing each other about these things rather than discuss it with one another but then it goes beyond that to gender roles right we believe in the sanctity of life you know we're urged to accept and vet everybody on the basis of the sanctity of life but the gender role thing comes along, and male spiritual leadership has always been the position of the church. But how that's expressed looks different ways in different places. And then some will come along in certain articles and, that I'm reading and uh, books that I'm reading, and they'll, they'll wonder, you know, if, if we don't watch ourselves, we, we will find ourselves alone in the world because people are going to turn away because of the way we handle the gender issue. The, wide, the world seems to be getting wider for the role of women, and yet in the churches of Christ in particular, they're not expanding those roles. We'll be left on the fringes and everybody leave. I can see some women and know some women who really do have these gifts they have, and they want to bless the wider church, but they're not allowed. Why would God who made everyone and every person in his own image keep half the human race from being willing to, able to contribute their gifts to the full church? Why would he do that, they ask? Are they not also in his image? I've felt that odd sensation trying to explain to our girls why their efforts with lad to leaders need to be relegated to a far-off room in the building and only half the congregation get to actually hear them. How do we explain that? How does that come across and what should we do about that, if anything? And I wonder if fathers who can watch their sons participate in public worship, but their daughters never will witness that in the same way. How do they explain it? How do they understand it? And what do we feel about that? Huge disparity about what women can do in the work world, and they come in the church, and it's totally different. Are we sure we have this right? Sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. And I know we're being led a little bit by culture, being heightened and deepened 
and driven by the cultural things, but if that's, so, if that's so often the case, why are churches debating this and more churches expanding this some? Why are they doing that? And what do we need to do about that? Before we jump into all these particulars in the weeks to come, I want to set up some principles that are going to guide the whole thing. I want to say it at the forefront and at the beginning of every lesson in the series, I'm going to remind you of these principles because the truth is I can't say it all at once. What needs to be talked about and how it needs to be addressed needs to be broken up in parts. But you see, people can say, people can say, well, not everybody will be at all the parts. And so how, how are they? Well, we could meet till three. Are you willing to stay? No, I know you're not willing to stay. So we've got to break it up into parts. So listen to me. First of all, first of all, the principle is do not take issue with things until you've heard it all. Okay. There, there's going to be parts of it that if you take a part of a lesson, you pull it out of that lesson, and then you say, this is what our, our preacher said, it's going to get people uptight and riled for no reason at all. I'm going to expect you to be a reasonable listener and a responsible one. I want you to listen to everything said first and listen to the reasoning first, and then, and then we can have a discussion and a debate, but be careful about speaking too soon. Let me finish, let me finish. That's what I want to say. Second, because of who we are, culture is not our primary concern. Scripture is. We became children of God. You bowed your knee before the God of heaven and submitted yourself to the Lordship of Christ. And you, you vowed to submit yourself to the revelation of God of himself. Your number one allegiance is not to be friendly with the world or to be in agreement with the world. Your number one allegiance as a child of God is to be in agreement with the Heavenly Father. That is something we cannot change. And if doing that makes us be irreconciled with the culture, we must rest content with that position. There's a few verses I want us to look at. Isaiah chapter 55, beginning... Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You hear what God's saying? Listen, you're the, cre you're the creation. Your thoughts and ways will not be mine. You hear what God's saying? There's a, there's a divide between me and you, and you're my people. You're becoming my people. And so the only way you can know God's ways and thoughts is if he tells you. Don't use your imagination and don't use your feelings and don't use your own thoughts. Instead, trust yourself to the revel revelation of God. That's no choice of us, right? The, we as believers and we as the church get our doctrine from a God who's higher that automatically means, and he's going to explain this as we read through this, that automatically means there's going to be some things that he says that make no sense to us. When that happens, who's right? God is. And you may never understand it, and you may never like it, but that's not the issue. The issue is his, his ways are higher. So he says, as, high, as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, well, how can we get his thoughts then? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, do not return, to out, to it, return there without watering the earth, making it bear fruit and sprout, bringing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but shall accomplish 
what I purpose shall succeed in what I sent it for. Do you know how you access the word of God that's higher than us and his thoughts are greater than ours? By what he tells us. So the first posture is this, church. First of all, he tells us his ways and his thoughts. And we, we say, yes, sir. We say, yes, sir, and we submit to it, and it becomes our thoughts and our ways, and we become more like God. We're his children as we submit to what he says. But there's a second move. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that wisdom that's higher, and that wisdom the thoughts are higher and his ways are higher, that wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms are philosophies, they're worldviews, they're the ways of culture, the ways of society, the way of governments. God's intent was that we take the word of God that's his ways and his thoughts, we absorb them, we, we embody them, we submit to them, and then we take them and we proclaim them to a world. A world that will also understand them is different from their thoughts. We take God's wisdom, we embody it ourselves, and then we send it forth into a world that needs to hear it. How do you think a world is going to respond to the ways of God that are higher. How do you think they're going to respond? Well, God tells us this in several places. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 18 describes this phenomenon. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He says, God says, I've, I've, I've taken their wisdom and I've squashed it. I'm, my ways are not your ways, world. Don't you tell me how to be. I'm the creator, capital C. And he tells them the wisdom through the gospel. And it becomes folly, he says to them. That's a hard truth, isn't it? The message we present to the world will always be considered foolish to them. It's going to look outdated. It's going to look old-fashioned. It's going to look so yesterday. It's going to look backward, right? It's patriarchal. It's behind the times and on and on. Another example is 1 John chapter 4. I want you to listen to this. 1 John chapter 4. You, dear children, are from God. You've overcome them because the one who's in you is greater than the one in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. They think world. They speak world. They understand world. They evaluate world. But who are you? We're from God now. We take the ways of God. We put it in our minds. We think God now. And whoever knows God listens to us. The words we preach are going to resonate with a person whose, whose mind has been transformed by the will of God and the word of God. But the person who hasn't, it's going to sound strange. They will not listen to us, right? And this is how you recognize the spirit of truth and falsehood. Can I tell you something really weird about 1 John 4? The problem is we're dual citizens. And I've got to tell you that even as I listen to the ways of God from his word and try to absorb it and make it what I think, I'm also a member of the world. And I've got to tell you, some of the things he says make no sense to me because I am very, very steeped in the world. It's hard to separate myself from it. As a dual citizen, I understand both sides of this. And sometimes it's great consternation in me, and I don't know how to do it. And sometimes, quite frankly, I'm terrified to do it. I'm afraid to speak it. 
So what guides me, and what I'm saying in all these verses, what guides us in this issue, and this has got to be something we understand right at the forefront, what guides us is Scripture, and we submit to it, and it must be what we turn to. But that's not the whole story. While culture is not our dominant concern, culture is a concern for us. It does matter to us. Next slide. We do want culture to hear. We do love our culture. We love the people in it. We want to reach them because we love them. So that causes us to do a couple of things with this word of God. Number one is we, we speak the truth, but we speak it in love. This is something we can't say just a matter of style. We're going to have to say some hard things sometimes, but even when we say it, we say it lovingly. And I... <laughs> I'm laughing because of what I'm about to say. It just still creeps me out, okay? An example of this could come from our own pulpit from a week ago. Monday, I get up. This, this is not totally unusual, but it was just strange in how it happened. On Monday, I was thinking there was a restlessness in me. Something was not settling right from Sunday. It was just an odd thing, and I didn't know from anything I, I, I had experienced or anything anyone said, I didn't get it. So I thought, what is this? What is wrong with you? And so I, I watched the sermons. And I, I, by the way, I do watch my sermons every once in a while because I, uh, I've got to watch what I'm doing. If I'm not real careful, I'll get really stupid. And so I watch myself. I still could get stupid, but I, I watch myself to keep myself and rein it in. And I watched both sermons. On Sunday night's sermon, I was on the edge of my seat, and I had a frown on my face. I know I did. I didn't see myself. There was no mirror there, but I knew what I was thinking. Because what I'm thinking is always on my face. Can you tell? Anyway, so it's not always a good thing. And so I'm, re I'm listening to that sermon from Sunday night, 1 Samuel chapter 2, about parenting. And I, I'm on the edge of my seat looking at myself going, who in the world are you? If you were to ask me after the sermon, is that, is that what came across? I don't know. I know what I was trying to... If you were to ask me in the middle of the sermon, is that what you're trying to say? I would say, well, no, it's not. It's not anything like... It was harsh. It was judgmental. It was terrible. It wasn't a spirit of God at all. It, the words were fine. Listen, you can take my manuscript and you can read it and say, I agree with everything in it. But the tone was terrible. It didn't match God's heart at all. And I said, no, I just couldn't believe it. And in the middle of that, I'm not making this stuff up. God is just sticking a, a, a knife in me and just going, in the middle of it, someone texts me. I won't say who it is, but I was just looking at him a second ago. And he says, I feel so guilty about some of the things I did as a parent. And I said, well, it's no wonder that terrible preacher last night just put you through the mill. And I explained to him, listen, those words, I don't apologize for the words, but i got to tell you, that tone made you walk out like you were beaten like a dog. And it was so totally wrong, you don't do that, because the tone matters as much as the words. Sometimes the only reason something is hate speech is because of the way it's said, because of the way you come across. And it was totally irresponsible to do that, and I can't afford to do that with this series and this topic and with our culture. And then I, had, I met with Aaron later in the week, maybe Tuesday, and I said, be prepared to really evaluate my sermon from Sunday night. Now, usually we evaluate his, but, and he nailed it. I mean, he's a sharp kid. And he said, yeah, I saw it. I see what you're saying. How it's said 
is as important about what, as what you say. So we speak the truth to a world that probably finds it strange, but we speak it lovingly, hoping to earn a place at the table of their mind with the opportunity to influence them. This matters, so when you talk to people about these matters, watch the tone. And when you respond to people on Facebook, be very careful because there is no tone, and they make it up for themselves, so you gotta be careful about that. But remember also, though, that even when we submit to the truth, we recognize the world and we don't judge them. This is one of the strangest passages, and I want you to listen to it. It's very important from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I wrote to you in my letter not, he's, Paul's talking about a letter he wrote the Corinthians, I told you not to associate with sexually immoral people. So they started, they started ignoring and avoiding all sexually immoral people. And he says, I didn't mean people of the world. People of the world are being world, and if you're going to win them and you're going to love them and you're going to let them know the truth, you've got to be around. I'm not telling you not to. So I'm talking about people in the church. We treat people different, and we're supposed to. People in the church who are brothers and sisters who have submitted to the lordship of Christ and agreed to the same ethic for their lives, we have an obligation to hold each other accountable. If one of you, if one of you becomes adulterous on your spouse, this church will not sit by... Well, that person acts like it ain't no big deal. And they keep coming to church thinking it's okay, we're going to live our lives this way. They're not repentant. They're not struggling with this. They're not trying to find their way. They are openly rebellious. We must treat them different. He says, we don't even eat with them. You no longer go and eat lunch with this person because they're not abiding by our, our ethic. But notice the next screen. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister. Don't even eat with those people. Next screen. What business is it of ours, however, to judge those outside? If two people come in here and you have a problem with cross-dressing, for instance, and two cross-dressing people come in here, or even two women who claim to be married to each other, but they're not Christians, how should we treat them? With all the kindness, with all the grace, with all the friendliness we can muster. Church, you hear me? This is hard to tell 600 people how they should act. But if two people have a lifestyle that you just know is wrong and it makes you feel weird, I understand you're going to feel weird on the inside. I want you to feel weird on the inside. It's not normal to you. You're not used to that. But listen to me. When they come in here, we fall over ourselves in kindness because they're unbelievers. We treat them different. We treat them in a different way than we would a believer who is in rebellion from their ethic. That's just the way it is. We've we got to be careful with this. There's all sorts of tones that we have and confusion we have about these things. But when it's an unbeliever, be careful about this because you don't judge the unbeliever. But how you treat the unbeliever will be part of your judgment. That's what Paul says. All right. That brings me to the third guiding thought here. We got to uh, know the relationship between disagreement and disrespect. Number one, disagreement does not justify disrespect. Because I land on a position different from yours in my conclusion does not give me the right to be disrespectful to you. This I want to say more to the people in the church than outside it. I got something for outsiders in a minute, but for insiders... 
we're going to disagree on some of these issues. We don't know where to land all the time. Let me do some foreshadowing here. It seems to me, as I look at Scripture the best way I can objectively, there is some kind of line between the roles of men and women in Scripture. We can debate a lot about where that line is. We'll be talking about that in two or three weeks. We're going to talk about where that line is. But can I tell you, there is a line somewhere. And churches have to get together. Autonomous churches and elderships have to get together and say, where is that line? And we land in a certain spot. Valley View has a certain spot where that line is. Other congregations get together and they think about this. And their line's a little different than ours. Do not disrespect others for coming to a different conclusion than you. Don't get on Facebook and tell them how wrong they are. Don't bash them for having a different spot here. Now, there is a line. There is a way to understand it, and there's a way to be in dialogue, and I think we need to have some discussion. But do not disrespect. There will never be a moment where because of where you land, and you might be even more biblical, and you might be more right than someone else, that ever, ever excuses disrespect of another person. Is that true? Okay, I'm just making sure because I'm, I lost some of you. But second thing, disagreement doesn't equal disrespect. I say this to culture. Just because I land on a spot different from you and I say that lifestyle over there is sinful, I am not hating you, I am not harming you, I'm not disrespecting you. Now I've got to watch my tone. I've got to make sure it wasn't hateful and if it's attached to a brick going through their house, yes, it is. But if I'm just saying to you the clear word of God says one man, one woman for life, and and this relationship over here is two women saying they're married, I'm telling you that is sinful and against the will of God, and I just say it to them earnestly and lovingly and yet firmly, that is not in itself disrespect. The fact that I disagree with you, and there are a lot of people I disagree with, and some vehemently, but, but I can do it respectfully. And we must do that. Watch our tone. One more line of thought here and we're done. Every person who lives is made in the image of God and deserves respect and dignity. That's a truth so clearly taught in Genesis 1 that was read earlier. We have no excuse as Christians not to believe it. We have no excuse then also not to live it. God's people... Of all people on the earth, know this is true. We should be the people who treat other people, even who dis- disagree with us, with more respect than anyone on the face of the globe. Isn't that true? We should be the ones who know how to treat people. We, of all people, know they were made in the image of God. And so if you have uh, uh, two people, two women, two men married to each other, and, and you disagree with that vehemently, you know they were made in the image of God. Even though they're living a sinful lifestyle, they were made in the image of God and deserve respect. And two people come in here, and it's obvious that it's, it looks like a woman, but it's a man, and it makes you feel strange. I know it makes you feel strange. They deserve every bit of respect we can muster. Made in the image of God. Never an excuse to alter that. Long before there was LGBTQCI, and there's one more, there was H-U-M-A-N, human. That takes precedence, and it's the truth. 
Let's pray together. Dear Father, Lord, we come before you as your creation, people made in your image, thanking you for the gift of life. We pray that we always have the proper humility as we approach you, for you're the only being who needs nothing else. While we rely on you for every breath we take and every need we have, we're grateful for your word that tells us who you are and tells us who we are, and quite honestly, Lord, sometimes we lose sight of both. Help us to accept your will in our lives, even when that will causes us effort and confusion and repentance and even judgment from the world. We need to remember, we need the reminder of your word to provide clarity and structure for our lives. And we're grateful for your Holy Spirit who lives within us, providing us comfort and guidance when we're confused, humility when we for some odd reason think way too highly of ourselves, conviction for when we're out of line, and we are sometimes, and peace when we're right with you again. Lord, we long to see this entire world of people know who you are and know who they are and to be able to rest in that knowledge. We long to have a world that's at peace with itself because it's right with you. We pray for every lost person to seek you out and for people who live with such anxiety and fear and angst about how the world is and how they feel. And we pray that through submission to your word, they would discover the joy and peace that can be found only in you in obedience to you. Give us wisdom, Lord, to know how to conduct ourselves in our tone, in our words. Grant us patience to keep living out of that wisdom. And may we know and trust in your word, and may we tell it and model it in love. And may the world see your love in us in a way that they'll want it too. We want to make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. We believe in your word, Lord, and we ask for your help in trusting it more, knowing it better, living it before a world that needs it so badly. Give us grace and give us courage for this. We need both badly. Help us, Lord, to see the world as you see it and love it as you do. You sent your son for that world, and now you're sending us. May we be who you called us to be so that your goal for that world, returning to you, can really happen. That is our mission. And we pray that you help us through your spirit for we know you are always with us to the very end of the age. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's not a kind of lesson where you give, a, give an invitation, but we're going to give one. If there's anyone who's not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, this morning you have that opportunity. It's not going to be easy, so I'm not going to encourage you to do it. You're going to have to adopt God's mindset and his ways and his thoughts, and it's not going to be easy. If there's anyone who has done that, but for some reason you've risen above his thoughts and his, his ways and you need to repent, that's available to you this morning too. Respond as you need to as we stand and sing. Just as I